I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the... Sorry, I completely forgot what I was saying. (laughs) It's welcome to the second tier podcast. I've only done this uh, intro 300 (laughs) times now and I still can't get it right. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the piss-up in cat art, my piss-up in pop world. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how's it going? Yeah, really good. Not not as excited as I normally would be for a World Cup. I barely, I don't even know when their first game is. I don't know whether it's the weekend it's or... Okay, right, fair enough. Well, that's that's, <laughs> that's good. It's, it's on a Sunday. Um, I've got a joke for you, actually. I've got Go a joke on. for you. How many guitar players do you know? None. I can name quite a few. I know where this is going. I'll <laughs> carry on. Jimi Hendrix, Paul McCartney. Yeah. Eric Clapton. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I saw that on Twitter. Yeah. Don't pretend like yeah. it's your no, own no, joke, no. please. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And I'm sorry for ruining the podcast already, but I had to be done. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not feeling as excited about this World Cup as I usually would be. I think many people are feeling like that as well, Justin, because it's in the middle mm. of the season. I did get a bit more excited about it after putting my bets on for the tournament. But, you know, it's just it's just soul dissolving, isn't it? This whole mm. thing. And it's getting even worse the more <laughs> tweets I see about how much of a farce it is in Qatar as well. Yeah, a lot of people are liking it to the Fire Festival, aren't they? The uh, mm. the Fire Fire Festival documentary, the the festival that never happened. People spending excesses amount of money on tents, essentially. And I've seen some of the images of the fan park. Um, people having to buy water. There's no free water there. Given that it's, it's a very hot country, it's something that is a necessity. Um, and people are having to to pay excess money. I saw one guy. I think it was a Birmingham City fan. Actually, saw a clip of him. He spent five pounds on a mango. A mango. I know they are they are expensive, but I imagine in a warmer climate country they would be cheaper than they would be in the UK because you don't have to import them. But yeah, five pounds for a mango is um, staggering. It's also fifteen quid for a Budweiser. Mm. I won't pay three quid for a Budweiser. No, Budweiser cool. is not a very nice beer. Um, Anyway, we're not here to talk about the World Cup. We're actually here to talk about the Championship. So welcome along to the number one Championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, no Championship football this weekend, of course. We're still in this World Cup break that's happening. So we're going to be doing our team of the season so far, our halfway team of the season. And I tell you what, Justin, I have been looking forward to this so much. I've been putting together my team in my head for a number of weeks now. And I'm glad that we've now got 
got it down, ready to reveal to our lovely, lovely listeners. So we'll go through each position. It's a 4-3-3 formation that we've gone for. Um, so we'll go through each player who we think has been the best in the championship in those positions this season. And uh, yeah, really live it all up about how good they've been. We'll also talk about some of the news from the past few days, including the appointment of Rob Edwards at Luton and a takeover at Coventry City. And then we'll finish off with Scott High or Ryan Lowe right at the end of the show. So we'll kick things off with the goalkeeper. And of course, we have gone for Blackburn's Thomas Kaminsky. So we've spoken tirelessly about how Blackburn have been a bit fortunate in games this season, Justin. They've been extremely clinical with their chances, but also the opposition haven't been able to take their chances. That's shown in their expected goals this season. And one of the main reasons why teams haven't been able to take those chances because of the insane form that Thomas Kaminsky has shown this season, Justin. Yeah, he's been exceptional. Um, we we praised him not too long ago, actually. I think it was after that wonder save he made. Um, I think it was it against Birmingham. Um, I can't remember who it was against, but it Middlesbrough, was Middlesbrough. I think. Yeah, Middlesbrough. It was it was a point blank range shot that he that he got his hand in front of that I discredited, um, and I still don't think it's a wonder save. But nonetheless, it shows how switched on and alive he is. Um, but that's just a little microcosm of how good he's been this season. Um, he's he's been absolutely exceptional, and as I say, he's. He's um, one of the main reasons why Blackburn are, are, are punching so highly in the league at the moment is because of how just how efficient and productive he has been in, in terms of um, uh, keeping opposition out. It's, it's a difficult job being a goalkeeper. And um, I think if you find one as good as Thomas Kaminsky, you've got to pay him very, very well, put him on a very long contract because good goalkeepers, I think at the moment, are very hard to come by. Uh, and Blackburn have shown um, or, or Kaminsky has shown that he's one of the best in the league was one of the best in the league last season I know you liked him last season a lot as well um, yeah just a tremendous tremendous goalkeeper having a really really good season and it's hard to see that uh, not continuing because he's Mr Consistent always has been He's been a brilliant goalkeeper for the previous two seasons and I've always thought he's been a bit underrated by those yeah. outside of Ewood Park but this season he's taken his game to an even higher level than before. He's got the most goals prevented in the division which is arguably the most accurate statistic for measuring a goalkeeper's shot stopping but he's also made the third most saves, has the third highest save percentage in the division. There have also been multiple occasions this season where he has individually won Blackburn points. That game at home to Birmingham springs to mind where he had to make several brilliant saves. And that Middlesbrough game where he made arguably the save of the season. He's a top quality keeper. And this was a fairly obvious shout to put him in as our number one in this team, Justin. He was the first name in this team for yeah. me, partly because it's always sensible to start with your goalkeeper when you're putting together a team, <laughs> but also because it was such an easy decision. It was plain and simply the obvious choice for me. I tell you what, I, I, I completely agree with you. Kaminsky was the first one, but uh, when I was you know, taking my notes and putting them down, drum really popped into my head and I do think he's quite, he's quite unlucky not to be in here because he's had a fantastic season. Having been a third choice keeper at Wolves for a number of years, um, he's shown he's he's still got that quality and ability in abundance because again he's been one of those keepers up there in terms of goal goals prevented as well saved a few penalties for Birmingham City so I think he's quite unlucky but Kaminsky by and large has been the best keeper in the division most consistent goalkeeper in the division as well 
Well, we are doing honourable mentions as well, Justin. And John Roddy was someone who <laughs> I wanted to give an honourable mention to. It's particularly surprising because when he came to Birmingham, I thought he was going to be back up. Um, and here he is playing week in, week out and has shown his best form in a long time. Uh, also, Lee Nichols as well at Huddersfield. He's yeah. been one of the bright sparks at Huddersfield this season. Who have we got it right back, Justin? In fact, it is worth saying... This shouldn't take away from how good this guy's been this season. But there weren't many outstanding right-backs, no. were there? You, you go through the top sides. Burnley have been rotating between them. Ditto Sheffield United and Watford. I struggle to bring myself to put any more Blackburn players in this team <laughs> than we've already got. Uh, Max Aarons at Norwich hasn't been playing to his usual standards. So there wasn't an obvious choice, one that was there. But who have we gone for? No, we had to dig a little bit into the statistics. But we've gone for James Bree. Uh, of Luton I think he's been uh, a fantastic player this season for for the Hatters he's been again incredibly consistent at right back Um, and from a from an attacking point of view he would have quite a few more assists uh, had it not been for um, uh, some below not below par performances in front of goal but just a lack of efficiency or conversion um, in front of goal from the Luton forwards which is um, which is has which has been a I won't say an issue, but it has been an ongoing thing for Luton for for the yeah, past two seasons now. Um but yeah, James Bree is a player who again can fit in at right full back or right wing back, mainly right wing back for Luton, obviously. Um but he's a player who Nathan Jones picked out on free transfer from Aston Villa. Um and he's been <laughs> almost like Gary Neville, just seven out of ten every week. Seven out of ten every week. He's just been superbly steady. Um and yeah, a player who um I think goes vastly underrated as well um, when when teams are picking their top performers. Um, I, 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 I struggle to, to name a more consistent right back in the league this season. Um, again, down to minutes played and just overall performances. Yeah, I completely agree with that. He's been the best from what I've seen this season and I've rated him quite highly for a while now, but he isn't the kind of fullback that grabs the headlines, is no. he? You have other fullbacks and wingbacks in this division who catch your eye on a regular basis because they're you know steaming up and down the wings and doing something that's slightly eccentric whereas James Bree isn't a very eccentric wingback in that respect he's your solid defender but also knows how to whip in one hell of a cross because only Elias Chair has created more chances than him in the entire division considering he's playing at you know, wing back, that's quite impressive. And only two other defenders have a higher expected assists than him. So he's sub underrated and is worth remembering he's only 24. So <laughs> he's still very young, uh, despite being around for quite some time now. And I think he'd be a really solid signing for plenty of Premier League sides because he is just so, as you say, consistent and brilliant going forwards and defensively. Honourable mentions, Ethan Laird at QPR, mm-hmm. Danny McNamara at Millwall as well is another one I uh, wanted to give a mention to. Let's move to centre-back, Justin. I think we've had quite a high standard of centre-halves yeah. in the Championship this season. Um, and we'll start off with the big Bosnian at Sheffield United, Arnel Akwen-Hodzic, who was I think a pretty obvious pick in this team, Monty. This guy has turned out to be a top-class signing for Sheffield United. He cost a fair bit, so we were expecting big things from him anyway. But he surpassed those expectations easily. And Paul Heckingbottom was a big admirer of his for a number of months prior to signing him and admitted they wanted to sign him sooner. But he has been worth the wait. He's just a nightmare 
to get past and is a big bruiser in the air, isn't he? But he also fits perfectly into the Sheffield United system. Heggingbottom even said when he's seen him play for Bosnia, they play with a back three and they also play in a similar way to the Bosnian mm. national team. So not only would he be ideal to bring into Sheffield United, but Sheffield United will also be ideal for him in terms of his development because he's still early 20s himself. So he's had a few problems with injuries. He's only managed 13 starts this season. But if anything, it's shown how important a player he is to this team. When he's not on the pitch, Sheffield United have conceded a goal every 70 minutes. When he is on the pitch, they concede every 131 minutes. So nearly double the amount of time, which is a just sensational but he's also helped at the other end of the pitch as well with four goals and strangely two assists as well you don't see many centre-halves <laughs> getting assists on the board but here we are he's turning out to be a brilliant bit of business by the blades isn't he yeah he is um, and I tell you what he, he arrived with a lot of fanfare but he wasn't a signing that I thought would come up to much um, I just thought it was uh, someone coming in uh, in fact I didn't really give it much thought um, I, I wasn't overly impressed with um, with the signing I thought maybe Sheffield and I could have stretched the budget elsewhere um, but uh, he's been head and shoulders above all of them to be honest with you um, he's aggressive I think it's that's the thing that's really that, that I've really noticed about him is how aggressive he is um, defensively attacking um, uh, attacking uh, uh, the ball at corners um, going, getting forwards and uh, yeah supporting um, supporting the wing backs he's just aggressive all round and that's exactly what you want in a defender and yeah, he's been absolutely fantastic and he's a player who I think can, can go on and on and on and play at the very top level because he's he's got that ability. He really has. He's yeah, fantastic player who um who would if he had have played more games again, could easily be a player of the year contender come the end of the season. And who knows how different it could have been for Sheffield United's fortunes this season. I mean, things are going pretty well anyway, um, despite the number of games that he's missed. But if he was fit for every single game, there may be, you know, top of the table by quite a distance mm. uh, let's go to the other centre-back position Justin where we have Taylor Harwood Bellis of Burnley now if there's one thing I'm annoyed about with us this season Justin it's been us not covering more how mm. good a player Taylor Harwood Bellis <laughs> has been it's actually quite astonishing how exceptional he's been He's played virtually every minute for Burnley. Annoyingly, he came off in the 89th minute against Sunderland because that minute would have gone a long way. Um, however, he's a data analyst's wet dream. I won't bore people with all the stats because I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but he's in the top 10 players for interceptions per game, shots blocked per game, ball carries per 90, passes per game and progressive passes per game. Defensively, he's been incredible, but also being key to Burnley changing their style of play into this passing system or company ball as a as it's now going to be deemed on this show. You can tell he's from the Man City Academy because he's definitely your modern day ball playing centre-half, but he's learning from one of the best centre-backs this country has ever seen in Vincent Company, and it's seemingly playing dividends. You add it all together and then realise this guy's only 20. He's been arguably the best centre-half in the division this season, and he's not even old enough to remember S-Club 7, Justin. <laughs> I'm convinced this lad will play for England because we've seen exceptional talents pass through the Championship since we started doing this podcast, Justin. And aside from Jude Bellingham, this lad is the one I'm most convinced will go on to play 
for England. I think a lot depends on who he plays for next season, but he's an exceptional talent with a very, very high ceiling. Yeah, second-tier cursing coming there, uh, potentially. <laughs> no, I completely agree with you. Um, and it's interesting because he spells at Stoke and Blackburn in the past. I don't think I don't think he was great. I think he was okay. Um, but he certainly didn't display the form he's showing now at Burnley. Um, but you're quite right. And I'm, I'm surprised you've not actually said the um, the two words you'd normally associate with Taylor Harwood-Bellis, uh, that type of defender. What, a Rolls-Royce centre-half? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I think to be fair, if you're talking Rolls Royce centre halves, then he fits the bill, doesn't he? Because he yeah. he does everything. He makes everything look so easy, but he's also you know smooth and silky on the ball as well. <laughs> yeah, um, pretty pretty much. Yeah, um, I think what impresses me most is his leadership uh, for such a young player as well. Um, he looks like a leader. Uh, he, he really does, and, and the fact that Burnley have had a very inexperienced backline this season and they haven't conceded. A monumental amount of goals, uh, a massive amount of goals. Um, I think is 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 quite telling. Um, to not only to to do that for a team gunning for promotion, but the pressures that come with that. Um, in the middle of trying to change the style of play and philosophy at a football club is very difficult. Um, but yeah, he's, he's a wonderful player to watch. Just watching him against Blackburn um, last weekend, the amount of times he got the ball and carried it through the centre of the pitch, gaining twenty, thirty yards of territory, is so important for a possession based team who. If they're coming up against a low block, you need you need players who are brave on the ball. And Taylor Harwood Bellis is brave for his passing, his his, his choice of passing, uh, and obviously he's, he, he, you know, going forwards with it as well. And he's a top top defender. Really, really like him this season. Um, and quite right, if he displays his form going forwards, he's going to go to the very top. Yeah, when you're playing in this Vincent Company system, he wants his team to take risks so they can move up the pitch and, you know really make great strides in you know attacking the opposition defence um, and that brings us very nicely on to our left back Justin who is Ian Martin of Burnley just a quick honourable mentions for the centre-halves Tom Lockyer both are Preston centre-halves and Austin Trusty. I think both deserve mm-hmm. uh, all deserve mentions but it was going to be very tough to uh, displace either of the two centre-halves we put in this team but Ian Martin of Burnley Justin he's a very fun footballer to watch isn't he he is um I think defensively he can always improve. I think we said that about him last season when he was at Coventry, although you may have disagreed with me on that I point. I think he's on the... brilliant defensively, but carry on. I, 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 looking at his stats, I think he can improve, but he's there as a wing-back. He's there to add options going forward, and he's really important to the Vincent Company system when he's fit and firing because he's that type of player who, again, like Howard Bellis, you can trust him with the ball. You can trust him to make good decisions on the ball. He's going to make the pitch nice and wide. Um, and yeah, he's a top, top player. Obviously scored the opening goal uh, scored the goal on the opening day uh, in the opening game against Huddersfield. He's grabbed four assists this season. Again, would would have a lot more, but a lot of averages as a fullback or a wingback, getting that many assists isn't isn't always too high. It just shows how many chances he is creating for his teammates. Just a really good player to watch, and as you say, very fun to watch as well. Um, and he's, he's a player who seems to be going strength to strength as well, which is which is quite staggering. He's he's not old twenty twenty one. Yeah, he's just a player who. Well, he's one of those who can can get a lot better um, and, and, and he will improve. And I say, all he's got to do is just tighten up defensively, increase those numbers a little bit and um, he'll be a top all-round wing back. Yeah, he bombs up and down the left wing like a startled deer in a forest. The way he just, you know, he's just pinging up and down the flank is just ridiculous because he's lightning quick and 
I would make a solid bet that he's covered more miles this season than any other player in the division, just because he he does not mess around with a, trying to stretch the opposition defence. But I also have no idea what's coming next with him. He can produce a moment of brilliance out of nothing like an excellent cross or a power driver shot. He's just got a wonderful, wonderful left foot. And only four players in the division have a higher expected assists than Ian Martin this season. He is ideal for this Burnley system, which requires players to be on the front foot and willing to take risks, similar to Harwood Bellis, and also similar to Harwood Bellis. He's only 20 and has been one of the best players in the division this season, which is just remarkable, uh, quite frankly. And company has shown he's already got a brilliant record of developing young players, which will only encourage big clubs to send more young players on loan in the long term uh, under Vincent Company. But with Martson, I can see this guy playing for Chelsea, when he goes back there. It depends what their youth policy is now under Graham Potter because under Frank Lampard, we can criticise him all we want, Justin, but he did give young players a chance. Mm. Thomas Tuchel, not so much. But I can see this guy being an elite level wing back in the long term. Some managers may have question marks over his height. I think he's only five foot six. That may put off certain people, but in terms of what else he gives you on the pitch, he's just phenomenal, isn't he? He's got everything you need as a wing back. Again, similarly to his defensive companion that we just mentioned in Harwood Bellis. It just depends what happens next season with him when he goes back to his parent club. Maybe he might be playing for Burnley in the Premier League next season. I think many Burnley fans would love to see it happen, wouldn't they? Uh, Honourable mentions, quite a high standard of left back this season, mm. actually. Jack Clark, Kenneth Paul at uh, QPR, Ryan Manning as well at Swansea. Very good left backs this season. Let's go into midfield then, Justin, where we have... Ollie Norwood of Sheffield United, which won't be a massive surprise to regular listeners of the podcast. The only thing that's been more incredible than Ollie Norwood's performances this season is the fact that some Sheffield United fans still don't realise how good a player he is. <laughs> He's arguably had his best season ever. It's actually unbelievable how well he's done it in every department. He's in the top 10 players in the division for tackles per game, but also passes per game and chances created. It's ridiculous how you can be... I can understand if it was just the defensive side of it, but also creating chances as well. It's just balmy. And as I've said before... He's like Vecna from Stranger Things because he is the heartbeat of the Sheffield United team. Orchestrates everything from midfield better than any player I can remember at this level in recent memory. He is the dream midfielder in the championship, isn't he? And has been underappreciated for a number of years now, but is simply a marvellous footballer. And I go as far to say, for me, he's been player of the season so far. Don't know about you, Justin? Yeah, I was going to say that. He's been the best player in the league, best player in the division quite quite easily. Um the stats the stats are quite crazy, to be honest with you. The the, the stats the numbers that he's posting all around the pitch are, are frightening. Um he's won most possession in the league, turning turning the games over for Sheffield United. Um most of his defensive actions for Sheffield United have been in defence in, in the defensive third as well. So again he's he's winning tackles um in, in good areas for the blades. Um, I think more staggeringly, he's laid up 57 passes um, that have led to shot attempts. Now, they might be um, shots from distance or they might be shots in the box. Regardless, he's he's laying up passes that are, are in good areas that are leading to, to good chances on goal. And he's posting those numbers in amongst advanced players like Elias Chair, Tom Ince, Josh Brownhill, etc. That, you know, he's a deep-lying playmaker. 
Um, he's a player you don't expect him to to do too much past the halfway line, um, but it shows that he is. He's just a just a brilliant player to watch, and as you quite rightly say, player of the season so far. Frightening ability on the ball. Um, I don't know if he sits in that underrated character uh, category anymore because everybody's saying he's underrated, but actually that usually means that they're very rated because everyone's saying it. Um, just a frighteningly good footballer who I love watching play. He's fantastic. When you just watch him, he's for the football purist. If you just keep an eye on him throughout a whole game, it's just lovely to watch the way he sprays passes out to the flanks, plays this you know 60-yard Hollywood ball. But it's not just a pointless Hollywood ball. It's actually making things happen. And oh, I'd love to watch a compilation of his best mm-hmm. passes this season. I think it would be, ugh, it'd be filthy. Um, but yeah, Arguably one of the best midfielders the championship has ever seen, in fact, isn't oh, it? Yeah. just because yeah, of yeah. the number of years he's done it as well. Uh, who's his centre midfield partner, Justin? I've got Josh Brownhill. Uh, Josh Brownhill of Burnley, obviously. He's, he's been he's been exceptional um, for me. Um, he's a player who I didn't rate under Sean Dyche, um, and I think that's purely down to system. I think what he's showing now as a number eight is far more productive than what he was showing as a number eight under under Sean Dyche or, or Mike Jackson. Um, I think I even said it on Twitter, didn't rate him as a Premier League player. But again, I think that's purely down to system. But in this uh, in Vincent's company style of play and philosophy, he's very active in creating chances. He's very active in being around the box. He's doing what a number eight should do. He's, he's, he's being box to box. He's getting in good areas in that final third, which is why he's been able to score the goals he has. Now, they have been spectacular, but you've got to be in that position. You've got to be on the end of a loose ball in and around the opposition box. And when you're playing for a possession-based team, Burnley don't create a massive amount of chances. So you have got to be clinical and Josh Brown has been that as well. Um, I think the thing that has impressed me the most about him is his ability um, to be proactive out of possession as well. He averages two tackles per game, which doesn't seem a lot in the grand scheme of things. But when you keep as much of the ball as Burnley do, you're actually winning the ball a fair bit um, and getting the ball back into the, uh, back into your, uh, yeah, your team's hands. So yeah, he's been absolutely fantastic and he's a player I'll happily admit I've been wrong about um, because as I say, I've not rated him in the past, but under this, under under company's tutelage, he's been unbelievable. Perhaps he's one of those players who you don't really bat an eyelid at when they're mm. in the Premier League, but when he comes down to the Championship, you get a stiff reminder of how good yeah. a player he is because he just looks a step above the players on the opposition team. Maybe the Sean Dyche system possibly didn't help with you know, showing how good a player is, maybe it put the shackles on him. Um, and especially when it came to showing his technical ability, because he, under Sean Dyche, I, I imagine he would have done well to have more than five touches in succession uh, when he did have the ball. Uh, but now that he's playing in this Vincent Company system, where he's allowed to be a bit more expressive, we get a very good um, showcase of what he can actually do with a football, because... Before, I, I always thought of him more of a guy who runs around a lot, mm-hmm. makes himself a bit busy, gets in the opposition's faces. This season, he's had to completely adapt his style of play, hasn't he? To play in this literally polar opposite style of play um, under Vincent Company, and it's getting the best out of him. And he's been phenomenal to watch, hasn't he? He's scored plenty of goals this season, set up plenty of goals too. 
Just phenomenal, Justin. Honourable mentions, Gustavo Hamer at Coventry. Very unlucky to miss out of this team. Uh, Sander Berger possibly would have been in this team had it not been for injuries. And Dan Barlasser at Rotherham, someone who you're a big fan of, Justin, who mm. I had to just make you calm down when he wasn't in this team initially. Uh, but he's, <laughs> he's one of those who's very underrated as well, possibly because he is just playing for an unfashionable side like Rotherham. Uh, Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about our front four in our team of the season and talk about some of the news in the championship for the past few days. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. We're going through our team of the season so far and we've just done our goalkeeper, defenders and our two holding midfielders. So now we're on to our front four and we'll go with our number 10 in this very, very attacking formation <laughs> that we've got here, Justin. Who have we got as our number 10? It's a limited die. It's always going to be a limited die. This kid's the real deal. He's just unreal. Um, I love him. Uh, I think his um, his form this season... And how he's improved in, sh- in such a short space of time, um, I think is absolutely bonkers because he wasn't anywhere near as productive um, in front of goal last season as he is now. Um, it's just quite staggering. And I think you don't really need to talk about numbers with him. And I, he's shown it uh, week after week how good he is and how important he is for the blade. Almost over-reliant on him, um, which I think is just symptomatic of the amount of injuries Chevrolet and I have had. Um, but he stepped up massively. And for a kid, it's completely bonkers that he's that he's been able to do that um yeah his, his, his talent is, is is frightening he's simply a thrilling footballer to watch into he gets Sheffield United fans out of their seats and I mean he was doing that last season to be fair it's just mm-hmm. a case of him not necessarily producing in terms of end product I think he is a confidence player he may need a few games for us to see the best of him but that's been the case with him in the first half of this season, hasn't it? There was a lot of expectation with him as well heading into this season. It felt a bit 50-50, which mm. Iliman Indai we were going to see. But thankfully, it's been the one who's just been tearing it up, as opposed to one who would show signs of promise, but only deliver every so often. So he's simply been the most entertaining player in the division, without a doubt, mm. and probably the best attacker in the championship this season. You only have to look at the goals he's scored this season. He's joint top scorer in the division um, in a team where he's sometimes been a midfielder, sometimes he's been a number 10, sometimes he's been up front um, and the other players who are joint top scorers are all, you know, strikers. So he's had to really carry Sheffield United on his back at times when they haven't been playing that well and produce something out of nothing. But he's just so so entertaining mm-hmm. uh, and I have a sneaky hunch he could be a breakout star at the World Cup Justin mm-hmm. Sadio Mane's injury means he might be starting for Senegal you'd hope so you would hope so he's banging form right now even playing better than his teammate Ishmael Assar who you think yeah. is a, talima- a talisman for Senegal so why not show them what you're made of Illiman. Um but yeah if you are watching Senegal at this World Cup then certainly keep an eye out for him because he will be one hell of a player to watch. Uh, honourable mentions in this number 10 slot, Zion Fleming. I don't think he could have done much more, really. He's just <laughs> unfortunate that he's behind arguably the best player in the division yeah. this season in Ilaman Indai. Chris Willock, João Pedro as well. Two players who are just top class at this level. Um, 
yeah, let's move on to up front just in where we've gone for three strikers because the, the standard of strikers this season has been so high that we had to just shove three strikers in there. Um, the first striker we've got is Victor Jokeres of Coventry, the super Swede, Justin. Worth remembering that this lad's when Coventry signed him permanently in the summer of last year, I don't think many people were too bothered. I don't really recall us, you know, yeah. discussing it too much. He was on loan at Coventry before, scored three goals in 19, not really anything to shout about. And then he was also at Swansea where he failed to score in 11 games. So there wasn't much fanfare for his arrival, but now he's one of the hottest properties in the championship. Yeah, and I think it's his all-round ability that, that puts him in that uh, category. We've said quite a lot of him over the last few weeks actually in the lead up to the international break because of how important he's been for Coventry um, he's been a difference maker in games uh, tight games I think every game of Coventry's been tight obviously in that first half of the season they've, they've had to um, to to uh, shackle up defensively make it make make themselves difficult to beat which is which has meant there's been a, an extra pressure on the likes of Giocarez and Hamer to produce moments for Coventry and they've done that, and he's and he's been clinical. Um, I know there are some Coventry fans that will say that he doesn't um, isn't scoring enough goals, which is quite strange actually. But he does have quite a lot of shots, um, and I think that's just a, an area that will need refining over time. And I think that's an easy thing to refine as well, when he's probably shooting when he could probably pass, and that will just boost his numbers up massively. That will increase his goal conversion, obviously. It'll increase the amount of assists he makes as well. Um, but. I wouldn't say he's carried Coventry in the final third this season, but he's gone a long way to Coventry being higher up in the table than than, than where they were. Like I said, he's he scored the winners on occasion. He's been a difference maker, and he's he's had to actually. No, I will say he's had to carry Coventry in the attacking thirds because the likes of Matty Gordon's been injured, Martin Wax, Martin Wackhorn's been out in and out of the side, Callum O'Hare's been injured. He has been so so important for Coventry, and he stepped up. He's got some beautiful goals as well, yes, he? There was that one against Sunderland. That. Yeah, so that one against Sunderland on the first weekend of the season. That one where he's dribbled from his own half. I can't remember who it was against now, um, but dribbled from his own half and then ended up just dinking it over the goalkeeper. He is just phenomenal in every department because of his finishing ability. He's uh, great. Probably could be better in occasion, but... You know, you can't knock it really, considering he's got nine goals for the season. But his physical ability, he's really quick, but he can also hold off um, defenders as well. Um, good in the air uh, and his dribbling ability. The number of times we've seen him mm-hmm. carry the ball from his own half to the uh, edge of the opposition penalty area is quite staggering, really. But he is just a brilliant, brilliant striker and someone I fully expect to be playing Premier League football in the very near future. Maybe with Coventry? Who knows? But I I can imagine there are plenty of Premier League clubs who are eyeing him up just because of what he um, can give a side, not just in terms of scoring goals, but also in other departments as well. Um, The next striker alongside him, Justin, is, what's this? Another Sheffield United player. Justin, who is it? It's Ollie McBurney. It is Ollie McBurney. And I'm really pleased for him because he's taken a lot of flack from everyone really I think even us uh, uh, various points just because definitely of us <laughs> yeah. just because at various points he's never looked like scoring but he's he's well on his way to a golden boot which is something I predicted at the start of the season by the way um, yeah he's, he's been fantastic and I think um, I think not only that, but his, his link-up play with Billiman and Dye is quite frightening. Um, he's been he's been a goal scorer for for Sheffield United, but he's also been um, he's been the 
the target man. He's, he's not been the over-reliance player that Elamendi has been, but the Blades have needed him this season. They really have because of how Elamendi plays. He needs that player to play off. I mean, eight of um, Elamendi's nine goals have been in the uh, the box for Sheffield United, and that's down to Ollie McBurney linking up with him. Um, his goals per game is, is amongst the lowest, amongst all the forwards as well. Yeah, he's just he's taking his game to another level. Um, Paul Hackingbottom said he's made changes to his personal life. That's really, really helped him. Um, and he's and he's back to being that player that we saw at Swansea um, all those years ago when I think he won the Golden Boot or he earned that big move to, to Sheffield United. So, yeah, just a really, really good player this season um, and one that he's been playing with an injury as well. He's, playing with, he's been playing with a hernia, um, which is, wow, that's incredible. <laughs> Yeah, I won't thank you for it, but uh, fair play no. to you, Mr. McBurney. It's been a real season of redemption for Lee McBurney, hasn't it? You talk about how poor he was before. I think you'd do well to find many Sheffield United fans who would have given two tosses if he left the club mm. in the summer. I don't think many would have really cared because how many goals did he score in his previous few seasons I, I can't remember off the top of my head but he scored more goals in his last 14 games than he managed in his previous 98 games for Sheffield United which is an absolutely phenomenal stat but this is a guy who had issues in his personal life off the pitch um, and as you mentioned Paul Heckingbottom says he's had to make changes um, and it seems to have worked wonders doesn't it because now he just seems a completely different player to the one that we saw before and it's just phenomenal to see this guy playing with a smile on his face again because he hasn't happened too much really um, but yeah he's just been absolutely phenomenal not just in terms of scoring goals but in terms of his hold up play and his link up play as well ridiculous really that this guy's had such a turnaround like this considering he was basically as low as it gets in terms of performance levels and you see how good he is now um, and I think he's still my pick for the golden boots this season I saw a tweet not too long ago that his stats this season are actually better than Alexander Mitrovic's <laughs> were from last season which is pretty frightening when you think about it I think that's in terms of you know the number of shots he's having per games the number of uh, his individual expected goals yeah. things like that and that all goes to show that he's getting in these right places at the right time. And now he's got that goal scoring touch as well, which means he could end the season with a very healthy amount of goals. So, uh, yeah, certainly one to keep an eye on with Ollie McBurney. And the final player in our team of the season, Justin, is none other than Ben Brereton Diaz at Blackburn Rovers. Not the first time he's made it into a championship uh, team of the season is it because this guy continues to show his impressive trajectory as a player um, and Blackburn fans might be having heart palpitations over us having two players in this team but the simple fact is their success this season comes down to two things one opposition teams not taking chances against them which is helped massively by having an excellent goalkeeper and two Blackburn having a man who is as clinical as Ben Brereton Diaz and there were question marks heading into the season about which Brereton Diaz we would see because last season he was phenomenal in the first half of the season then not so much in the second half although he wasn't helped by injury but it didn't take long for him to let us all know he means business again this season he's joined top goalscorer in the league but the mental thing is Justin have a guess where he ranks for expected goals per 90 minutes out of every single player in the division keep in mind he's joined top scorer wow uh 
I'd imagine he'd be quite low. He, he takes his chances, although his conversion is a lot lower this season than it was last season. So, just want a number, uh, mate. I don't know, tenth. He's forty-first in the league, which is crazy. But that says to me he has no right to have as many goals as he does, and the goals he's scoring, he shouldn't be scoring. But because he is joint top goal scorer in the league, he deserves an enormous amount of credit for working with what he's got. I think it's plain and simple to say, if Blackburn didn't have Ben Barrett and Diaz, I don't think they'd be even top half in the championship. Because only three teams have a low expected goals in the division than Blackburn. But they can thank their lucky stars that they've got an extremely good forward in Ben Barrett and Diaz, who can make the most of the chances that are provided to him. Yeah, I don't think there's much more I can add other than he's a player who's maturing um, massively. I think the fact that he's been able to sort of rep... No, I wouldn't say replicated his form from last season because I think it was a lot better last season. Um, although I think Blackburn were, were putting up more, uh, way more chances for him last season than they are this season. Um, but he's, he's been able to maintain his form, which is absolutely important. It's not just a, a one-season wonder. It's not a one-off for him. Um, he is scoring fantastic goals still. Um, I think the only argument or criticism you can have of Blackburn is they aren't creating enough for him to, to put more away because he would be miles ahead of everybody else, as he's shown with his, with his stats. Um, he's not having to. He wouldn't be having to create as many chances for himself, which he has done, which is why I think his goal conversion is, is just at 20%. In comparison, you look at Scott Hogan, for example, his is at 30%, so he's clearly more clinical than Ben, uh, ben Branch Diaz uh, in some aspects. But yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a tremendous player. Um, one that I... I rate incredibly high. Um, and as you say, both Kaminsky and Ben, ben Barrett and Diaz have had massive impacts on Blackburn's season this season, which is why they're in there this uh, in, in this team. Honourable mentions, Jerry Yates at Blackpool having a remarkable season by his own standards. Josh Sargent, uh, Jay Rodriguez at Burnley, Carlton Morris at Luton and Asarori at Burnley as well. Um We'll just quickly round up our team, Justin, before we go on to the news. Uh, in goal, we've got Thomas Kaminsky of Blackburn. Who have we got in defence, Justin? We've got uh, James Britt right back. I said in defence. You know, I, I thought th- yeah. you'd do the whole defence. Yeah, but we usually, we usually do one and then the other, and it's nice. Nice little bit of flow. Okay, okay. James Bree, who plays for who? Oh, he plays for Luton. Yeah. Uh, Centre-back, Anel Akmahodzic of Sheffield United. Taylor Howard Bellis of Burnley is the other centre back. Uh, at left back, Ian Martin from Burnley. Moving into midfield, we've got Ollie Norwood in the holding role of Sheffield United. And his double pivot next to him is Josh Brownhill uh, of Burnley. And then Illiman Dye in that number 10, also a Sheffield United. Up front, we've gone for three strikers. Victor Jokerez of Coventry is the first one. Ollie McBurney of Sheffield United again is the number nine in this team. And finally, Ben Barrett-Diaz of Blackburn is our final striker. So that's our halfway team of the season for you, ladies and gentlemen. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And Rob Edwards has been named as the new manager of Luton Town. It comes less than two months after he was sacked by Luton's big rivals, Watford. In a statement, he said, from the outside looking in, you can see this is such a well-run football club, a club that's growing, moving forward and competing at the right end of the championship. I feel a lot of positivity around the place and I'm really thankful to be given the chance to be part of it. Responding to concerns from some supporters about appointing manager who used to be in charge of their big rivals, Luton CEO Gary Sweet said, if we avoided everyone with a connection to our adversaries our choices would be somewhat more limited 
Lovely bit of needless digging there from Gary Sweet. Uh, but what do you think of this appointment, Justin? I think it's um, I think it's a good appointment. Rob Edward has got uh, potential to be a very, very good manager. Didn't really see it at Watford, although time-wise, we just didn't get a lot of... Um, a lot to see, really. Um, but I think he speaks really well. I think he, I think he fits the mould quite nicely. Obviously, I, I think the fact that he favours a three at the back um, is perhaps why the hierarchy may have edged with him over someone like Neil Critchley, because I think Neil Critchley is perhaps less of a risk than someone like Rob Edwards, just because of experience, um, yeah, coaching experience and ability as well. Um, but I think it's a, it's a good appointment and I think it's um, a step in a progressive direction because I think Rob Edwards perhaps won't play as tightly as Nathan Jones did. Whether that suits the players or not, I don't know, but it'll be intriguing to see where he takes the team come December. Um, but no, I'm, I'm excited. I, I am. I think uh, you know these, these types of things are always slightly scary. Nathan Jones has been Mr. Luton for a long time, um, so it's a new chapter, but this is one that I, could, I can get on board with. I think it's a good appointment. I have got my reservations on this one. I think he's benefiting from this bizarre paradox that happens every so often in football where a manager is deemed to be unfairly sacked and therefore is deemed to be a better manager than he actually is because he wasn't sacked after doing a bad job somewhere. I call it the Gary Rowett paradox, although that might be renamed to the Rob Edwards paradox, depending on how this one goes. As far as I see it, we didn't learn anything about Rob Edwards as a manager in his short time in charge of Watford. So we can only go off his time at Forest Green, which was incredible for two thirds before beginning to fade away and nearly ballsing it up in the final third (laughs) of last season. So we've only got a season and a bit to judge him off. So I'm not too sure how this one will go. I would have preferred someone like Neil Critchley, who I feel is more proven. But Edwards is young. He's got fresh ideas and likes to play an exciting brand of football. Speaks extremely well in the media and comes across as a man who cares a lot about the job that he's doing. He's very, very handsome as well. So that is one thing that I can guarantee that he boosts the sex appeal of Luton Town. (laughs) Also, Nathan Jones could have not left this club in a better position. So Edwards has got the chance here to be drastic, to try out some inventive ways of playing and getting results. You've got a club with a fantastic squad, one of, if not the best recruitment teams in the country, and a board which will give you all the support in the world. So Rob Edwards hasn't got any excuse for this not working. So if he is this young, exciting coach, which many people think, then what could go wrong, Justin? Yeah, what could go wrong? Um, (laughs) I think if you look at it, say if he was just... If say if it was his first job, at, um, Luton was his first job. Would we have as much reservation? Obviously, um, there'd be that it would present risk. Um, but I, I, I will disagree. I do think it's a, a tardy appointment, and um, it takes one of those managers off the list that we're going to link with every job as well, uh, which is easier for us because then we can we can be a little bit more inventive with those. Um, but I just think the fact that he, he does play a little bit more attacking than, than Nathan Jones did might get a little bit more out of this team, especially those attacking players. And if you put Corley Woodrow into the mix as well, yeah, I think they will score goals. Um, just on the Forest Green thing, I know you said they dropped off later, uh, later on in the season. They did lose a top scorer, Matty Stevens, to injury, which won't help. But do recognise the fact that he's that we're picking from a um we're not picking from much we can't pick a lot out of him uh, in terms of information but yeah i think i think it does present risk but it's better than the usual 
managers that get appointed to these sorts of roles. Um, Luton had to go with a safer option. I think they've done that with Rob Edwards. The owners of Coventry City have agreed to sell a majority stake in the football club to local businessman Doug King, subject to EFL approval. The deal will involve clearing all of the club's debts. King is chief exec of an oilseed processing facility and says, We are keen to meet with Coventry City Council's representatives and others as soon as possible to set out our vision. He also wants to take ownership of the CBS Arena, but that's gone to... Da, 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 da. Mike Ashley. The Frasers Group has brought the three holding companies in a deal worth 17 million. I'm not sure what the stadium news means for Coventry, Justin, but a takeover of the club, that is great news for them, isn't it? It's fantastic news because they're going into a January period that had a lot of uncertainty um, whether they'd be able to invest. I mean, there still might be uncertainty. Um, I've not seen what King's plans are yet but they do need a little bit of investment into the squad um, just because they just need propping up they need a, a fair bit of depth in that in that team whether that be loan signings or um, I mean, a bit of wheeling and dealing from Robbins but he's shown that he can be trusted in bringing players in um, it's an exciting period for Coventry I know the stadium issue isn't quite sorted but you'd hope that all parties can agree to something talks have been positive from what I've read in the past before um, before the, the takeover of Coventry was sorted but yeah it should should hopefully fingers crossed touching wood mark a quieter normal period for Coventry and supporters which is what they want which is what we all want we just want boring owners don't we we just want boring owners that just sit in the background doing nothing not doing nothing but just yeah propping the club up when they need to well whenever we talk about you know clubs having bad owners and the EFL needing doing needing to do more to stop clubs being taken over by bad owners the issue I have is that there isn't a huge amount of you know, wealthy businessmen with the right intentions out there, if you see what I mean. Mm. So for Coventry to have a local businessman come in and, you know, show that he wants this club to go in the right direction, I think that's a godsend as far as Coventry are concerned because there aren't that many people out there who can afford football clubs, uh, let alone in the championship. So I've, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I don't think there's a group of football fans in the country have gone through more in the last decade than Coventry City fans. That's, of course, excusing extreme examples like uh, like Berry. They've been forced to watch their team play home games outside of Coventry for multiple seasons and they've been left fearing for their future of their club on more than one occasion. However, Despite all this uncertainty, Coventry as a club have somehow managed to go in the right direction in the last few years because of the brilliant leadership of Mark Robbins. So they were still making progress as a club when there was chaos off the pitch. How much progress could they make when the club's prospering off the pitch? Who knows? So it is extremely exciting news for Coventry. And Doug King sounds like he's got his head screwed on. Having said that, I've spoken the same about you know, new owners at other clubs who have turned out to be tits. But he's spoken about regenerating Coventry, which shows he cares about the city as well as the football club, which I think is a good place to start. So I'm I'm getting a lot of positive vibes from Doug King as a new owner or potential new owners since it's not been confirmed yet. Fingers crossed him and Mr. Ashley get along like a house on fire (laughs) because that's the only way this can possibly go wrong. But Hopefully this is the start of a new era for Coventry City as a football club, a positive new era at that. 
Now, the final squads have been announced for the World Cup in Qatar. 25 players from the Championship have gone in total. Reading and Swansea have the most players going uh, with three each. Wales is unsurprisingly the country with the most Championship players with eight from the second tier. Uh, there was a bit of talk, Justin, on Twitter this week about whether 25 players is enough for the Championship to be paused for a few weeks. Don't know if you've got any thoughts on that. I think... I mean, you'll have teams. Reading have got a few players going, so I mean, they're they're already small squads. Just you know, they've lost three key players potentially or four key players. I can't remember how many it is exactly, but I just think in the terms of fairness, it probably makes sense to do it. If it was an international break, there'd be no games. Um, so yeah, I just think in the interest of fairness, it, it makes sense to pause um, to to pause uh, yeah for the World Cup, um, and as well as that, it gives everybody a bit of a break as well um, because we haven't had the usual amount of international breaks either so yeah I think it's the right thing to do Um, I know 25 is a low number but nonetheless in the interest of fairness I think it makes sense Bristol City have released their accounts for last season just the half a million lost each week Owner Steve Lansdowne put in more than £15 last year to keep the club going. Chief exec Richard Gold says the transfer market has shown only minimal signs of returning to the level it was prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, Have you got any thoughts on this one, JP? Um, I think Bristol City are heading in the right direction. Um, They've reduced their losses by £10 million, which is a massive positive. Um, They've reset the club in the sense that they're relying on academy graduates to come through and obviously eventually they'll sell them on to to make profit, etc. and reinvest back into the team. The comment you said there from Richard Gold about the transfer market uh, returning to what it was before COVID-19, we saw clubs spending stupid amounts of money for players, including Bristol City, um, which makes me think the reset after covid um, certainly makes more sense um, in a sense that clubs aren't paying excessive amounts for, for players anymore that they can't afford um, so yeah I just think it's a bit of a strange strange comment from Richard Gold although as I said we'll, we'll, we'll reiterate they are heading the right direction a Sunderland supporters group has condemned the club travelling to Dubai for a winter training camp. The Spirit of 37 says it goes against everything we stand for and has urged the club to reconsider immediately. In less depressing Sunderland news, the Stadium and Light has been shortlisted as one of 14 UK and Irish venues to host Euro 2028. I've got a small issue with this myself, Justin. Of those 14 venues, only one is in the Midlands, none in the East Midlands. So there's two in the Northwest, two in the Northeast. Each of these stadiums relatively close to each other, but nothing in the East Midlands. Pathetic. Birmingham goalkeeper John Ruddy has signed a one-year contract extension. He originally signed a deal until the end of the season, but has played every game for Blues. And, as we said earlier, has been one of the best goalkeepers in the division, hasn't he? Uh, According to the BBC, Yaya Torre has told Wigan he doesn't wish to be considered for the manager's job. The Latics were said to be considering bringing him in. The Man City legend is currently a coach at Spurs. And now, according to The Sun, Wigan have turned their attentions to Colo Torre, who is a coach at Leicester. Um, thoughts on this one, Justin? It's an interesting... They're interesting developments. I did see a tweet that made me laugh um, about the, the, the Wigan boardroom. Um singing the Ya Ya Torre Colo Torre song <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to get that decision just, right <laughs> that's their managerial uh, shortlist yeah. sorted yeah it's it's. I don't know I don't really know I, I've been obviously when the news broke um, in the week um, I've been trying to make two cents of it and I still can't um, Colo Torre has experience of being a coach under Brendan Rodgers their defensive record hasn't been great of late um, 
towards the end of his career as a player, he presented a little bit of chaos, which I like. Um, but if the club are willing to to do something a little bit different, um, then you then you've got to back them. Um, it's just hard to pass a judgment on someone who has limited amount of experience. He's got to come in and tighten everything up, which is a very difficult thing to do in the championship. But it's just one of them we're going to have to play by here. But again, at least we're not seeing the usual names linked with jobs. They are bringing in some, uh, yeah, some different, some different names. I think this has been teased a lot online by opposition fans because they have gone from Yaya Torre to Colo Torre and mm. fans are just, you know, taking the mickey out of them in that respect. And I think they've also taken the mickey because Colo Torre, towards the end of his career, wasn't the most solid of players. He did have the odd moment of madness and uh, he was more known for the chant as opposed to his mm. actual footballing ability. Um so I think people have taken a bit of a cynical look at it in that way. But, you know, he, he's been a, a senior coach at Leicester now for quite some time, learning off one of the best coaches in the country in Brendan Rodgers. So in that respect, I don't see why it wouldn't be a somewhat bright appointment. My only question is, you know, there are good managers available out there at the moment. So why would you go for someone like Kodo Torre, for example, when you could get in someone like, I don't know, Neil Critchley. Um, you also wouldn't have to pay compensation for someone like mm. Neil Critchley, I think. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a bit of a strange move in that respect, but I think people are teasing it a lot online because um, it's Kodo Torre, if you see what I mean. Uh, and then finally, Gary Cahill's announced his retirement from football at the age of 36. He most recently won promotion from the Championship with Bournemouth where he was very good for the first half of the season before he didn't really play much in the second half of the season. So best of luck to you, Gary Cahill. Right now it's time for the polls. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. Basically gone through our team of the season here, Justin. Who's been the best centre-back in the championship this season? Anil Hakma Hodzic, Taylor Harwood-Bellis, Tom Lockyer or Austin Trustee? Uh, I'll go with uh, Harwood-Bellis. I've already said it, so... I would also go with Harwood Bellis. 48% of people said Ahmed Hodzic. 24% said Harwood Bellis. 14% Lockyer. 14% Trusty. Who's been the best centre midfielder in the Championship this season? Dan Barlasser, Josh Brownhill, Gustavo Hamer, Ollie Norwood. Ollie Norwood. Yeah, definitely Norwood for me. 30% said Norwood. 40% said Brownhill. 25% said Hamer. And 5% said Barlasser. And finally, who's been the best forward in the Championship? Brereton Diaz, Jacarez, McBurney. Or Yates? That's actually a bit harder. I'll go with... Um, ah, I'll go with Jokerez. I'd probably go with McBurney. 53% of people said Jokerez. 19% said McBurney. 19% said Brereton Diaz. And 9% said Jerry Yates. Right now it's time for Scott High or Ryan Lowe. We're doing this because we've got no guests this week and we thought we'd mix it up a little bit. Uh Scott High or Ryan Lowe, it's essentially higher or lower. I'll give Justin eight numbers. He's got to tell me whether that number is higher or lower than the one before. Let me just put my phone on the floor. Since the World Cup gets underway this week, Justin, I thought we'd go for a World Cup theme. I'm going to give you eight countries, Justin. I want you to tell me whether they've been to more or fewer World Cup tournaments than the team before. I must point out we are including this World Cup. That's starting this week in the number of appearances. So... Your first number is three. 
And your first country is Ukraine. Have Ukraine been to more or less than three World Cups? Ooh, that's a hard one because they'd have obviously broken off from the USSR back in the early 90s. A bit of history trivia there for you listeners. Um, I remember them being at a 2006 World Cup because they had that funky kit. Um, I can't remember being at 2010 or 2014, so I'm going to say lower. First of all, you meant to say Scott High or Ryan Lowe. Ryan Lowe. Ukraine have only ever been to one World Cup. And that was in 2006. Absolutely spot on, Justin. Completely caught me by surprise. I thought they'd been to more than that since 2006, but there you go. Mm. So one out of one for Justin Peach. Your new number is one. Your next country is Bolivia. I'm essentially asking, have Bolivia ever been to a World Cup before? Scott High or Ryan Lowe? Ryan Lowe, surely. I, I don't know. I Not in my lifetime. Bolivia have been to three World Cups, although the what? most recent was in 1994. So uh, I think we can let you off with that one, Justin. So your new number is three. You've got one out of two so far. How many World Cups have Slovenia been to, Justin? Is it more or less than three? This is hard. This is really hard. But again, they'd have broken off from uh, Yugoslavia. So I'm going to say Ryan Lowe. Slovenia have been to... Two World Cups, one in 2002, the other in 2010. I always just assumed they were one of those countries who just kind of made up the numbers at World <laughs> Cups. But you're spot on. Two out of three for Justin Peach. So two is the new number. What about Honduras? How many World Cups do you reckon Honduras have been to, Justin? Is it higher or lower than two? Um, I want to say Scott High. Uh, I think they were at 2010 and 2014. They've been to three, with 2014 being the most recent. You're spot on. Three out of four for Justin Peach. He's doing very well so far. So your number is three. Let's have a bit of Romania. Do you think Romania have been to more or fewer World Cups than three? Uh, That's another tough one. Um, There's that blonde hair picture. They all dyed their hair blonde, but I can't remember Romania being at any other World Cup. So I will say Ryan Lowe. Then three. Yeah. Romania have actually been to seven World Cups, although their most recent outing was in 1998. So I I think we can let you off for not getting that one, Justin. Mm. Seven is the new digit. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Oi, oi, oi. How many World Cups have Australia been to, Justin? The Socceroos, if you will. Is it more or less than seven? See, I think Australia have only sort of, in 21st century, become a really good footballing nation. Or not really good, but a good footballing nation, consistent footballing nation. So I want to say Ryan Lowe to seven. Seven's a high number, a really high number. And I can't remember there being a, a really good Australian football team before the 2000s. They've only been to six, which I was quite surprised about. I'm very surprised you actually got that, Justin, um, because I thought Australia were another country who just made up the numbers at every World Cup. Uh, But before 2006, they'd only been to one World Cup, which certainly surprised me. Um, So four out of six you've got. So the new number is now six. Scotland. Have Scotland been to more than six World Cups or is it less? It's definitely less. It's Ryan Lowe. They've been to eight World Cups. What? 
but they are on a 24-year drought since the last one in 1998. Uh, so that means you've got four out of seven. This is your final one, Justin. And the number is Serbia. Uh, the number's eight. The country is Serbia. Have Serbia been to more or less than eight World Cups? Would that be counting Serbia and Montenegro when they were joined as a nation, a footballing nation? Yes. Okay. I've got them in my sweepstake this year as well, so I'm, I'm all Serbia this year. Um, i got Germany and France. I don't think uh, either of them will win, but I think they're good picks for a sweepstake. Yeah, that's a tough group. Um, what was the number, sorry? Six? Eight. Eight. Oh, lower. Ryan Lowe. Serbia have been to 13 World Cups. That's because they're recognised by FIFA as the official successor of Yugoslavia, which means Serbia oh. have got two semi-finals <laughs> under their belt. <laughs> oh, I'm so devious, yeah. aren't I? Uh, that means Justin got four out of eight on Scott High or Ryan Lowe this week, which is a pitiful amount if you ask me. But how fitting that we've just had a game of high or lower, because that's exactly what we'll be doing this coming week, ladies and gentlemen, when we play higher or lower with every championship side that's right we'll be going through every team in the championship and deciding whether we think they'll be finishing higher or lower than where they currently are in the table it's going to be a two-parter part one will come out on thursday and part two next sunday and i'm bloody looking forward to us putting our necks on the line so this has been the second tier podcast just before we go justin who's going to win the world cup serbia got them in my sweepstake Let's have our fingers crossed that Mitrovic has another blinder like he did last <laughs> season in the championship. I'm going Argentina. Uh, I'm hoping Messi has the tournament of his life and finally gets that World Cup under his belt so we can end this stupid Messi-Ronaldo debate. Uh, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Beach. And a big thank you for listening. Thank you.